0: Would you please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible, please go get one at the cart. That is, and you you do not own it, you don't own a Bible, that is yours to own today. That is our gift to you. Please take one. 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you do have a black Bible, it is on page 993. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 13. 1 Timothy 6, verse 13. Hear the reading of God's word. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone as immortality dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. That is the reading of God's word. So last week we started a short series. I think it's going to go at least one more week, maybe two more weeks, on happiness. On happiness. That is a strange thing maybe for you to think about, to work through, and maybe especially in the church. And so we are unpacking it together, and I'm excited to to hit this topic with you this morning, but before we get to it, let's pray together. Oh God, we need you. Lord, we need you. As the song says, every hour we need you, and we need you in this hour right now, oh Lord, that you would impart to us the truths of your precious gospel, that by your Spirit you would open up these words to us, these supernatural words given to us, through the Apostle Paul, that we may know and trust and believe on you today. And I do believe that it is for our happiness. As we sang before of the Holy Spirit, may his joy reflect our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come with all of your delight, all of your cheerfulness, all of your rejoicing, and give it to us now that we may see that we may believe, and that we too may be happy. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And so we did say last week that humans, the human race, seems to be motivated above all other things by happiness, by happiness. Happiness is our highest aim. It is our greatest desire to to find it and to hold it. So the French philosopher Diderot said, there is only one passion, the passion for happiness. The pastor and theologian Thomas Boston from hundreds of years ago said this, consider what man, what human is. He is a creature that desires happiness and cannot but desire it. The desire of happiness is woven into his nature, and it cannot be eradicated. It is as natural as it is to breathe. Okay, now you could say that philosophers and theologians have to say something like that, but is that really true? Are we really motivated by happiness? Well, it's been interesting. As I've been preaching this series, I've been out working in coffee shops or just around town, I've been kind of, I guess, a little bit creepily looking at what people are reading. Maybe I'll see it on their their table or I'll see them holding it up. And it's amazing how many books I've seen about happiness. One title said, The Joy of Life. Another said, just straight up, How You Can Be Happy. I did a search on Amazon, How to Be Happy, and it brought up 3,321 books. Do you want to be happy? Are you happy? To get there, the next step in our series, I think we need to go to the source, the beginning, the source of happiness. Where does our happiness come from? Why do we want this? Now, the answer, in a sense, is simple, but it's profoundly difficult to get our modern minds around. I'm going to tell you the end before we even get there. We want happiness because God is happy, fully, fantastically, supremely happy. And knowing this is radically important to your life and to your own happiness. And so we're just going to ask some questions along the way to get us where I want us to go this morning, to get us where I think where the Bible wants us to go. And so the first question is simple. Is God happy? It's an interesting question. Is God happy? happy. So our passage this morning reads this way to 1 Timothy Timothy 6.13 I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. Okay just stop there for a second. So if you're looking at this verse, you're, you're, you're understanding the center of it is that it's a, a command essentially from Paul to his disciple, Timothy. Timothy's out in Ephesus, and, and he's been tasked by Paul to do something very important, to keep the commandment, if you see those words there. And so scholars think that the commandment is likely what he said very early on in, the ch- in chapter 1. Timothy was to remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons Not to teach any different doctrine. Now that's a specific calling. Stay in Ephesus. Make sure that everyone is holding to the gospel to the right doctrine. But what I think is fascinating, what I want you to see this morning, is how Paul couches it, how he reinforces it. In a sense, why he says Timothy should remain steadfast and faithful. This is his motivation, and it is that Timothy serves in the presence of Of God. But not just God, also Jesus Christ. And he he mentions the thing that Jesus Christ did. He is to remain faithful to Jesus Christ in his presence. This Jesus who stood before Pontius Pilate and confessed the truth that would lead to his death. In a sense, Paul is saying to Timothy, You got to do what you do because Jesus and God are watching. They're watching. Friends, you are not called to stay in Ephesus and hold down the right doctrine, but you are called to something. You are called to something, and if you do not know it, you are called in the presence of God with the knowledge in your mind of Jesus' good confession before before Pilate to live out your calling well, to hold fast to your good confession In all things. And if you did not know it, if you did not know it, the Almighty Father and the Divine Son are watching you. They're watching you. There was a movie that came out a decade or so ago about the dark side of the evangelical subculture called Saved. Maybe you saw it. Some of it was uncomfortably spot on, some of it not so much. One of my favorite scenes it had all these students sitting in a Christian school, sitting in a classroom in their seats. And underneath the teacher in the front was this giant banner that read, Jesus is watching. Jesus is watching. It's meant if they tried to poke fun or poke holes in this Christian faith that they believed to be this guilt-motivated religion. For them, for the movie makers, Christianity was we had better do good or else. We had better do just as he says or Jesus will get you. Jesus is watching. Now, here's the thing, the sign is true. That is what Paul is saying. Jesus is watching. You serve in the presence of the sovereign, omnipresent Lord. He sees all, he knows all. He sees everything you do. do. He knows why you do everything that you do. Nothing is hidden from him. Now, we could ask, is that a good thing or or a bad thing? But I don't think that's really the question that we should ask. I think that we need to ask something deeper. What is God like? What is God like? We can imagine that we would not want a bad God watching over us. But a, a good one? A loving one? Something even more? You... All of you live in the presence of God, living out your lives, your callings in the presence of the Lord. And so when you think about him, what is he like? And that's actually really what I mean. I don't mean give me a book answer to what is he like. I mean, what do you think he is like? What is his general mood? What are his feelings? How do you think of him? A.W. Tozer wrote a half century ago that the most important thing about you is what you think about God. The most important thing about you is what you think about God. Okay, say we made this a family feud question. What do you think about God? What would the top answers be? At, at least a few of them, I think, would be about God's anger, right? It would be about His anger. God is wrathful. God is moody. God is short-tempered. God is on. Un- happy i think that's how most people see him and maybe not just outside of the church but inside of the church too and we have to ask ourselves is that how we think of him and see him and and relate to him that he's just this distant and angry deity now if that's true if that's how you relate to god you can imagine how that would affect your relationship with him if you as if you thought of him only as angry and unhappy randy alcorn gives an example He says that if your grumpy neighbor comes over and asks you what you are up to, how will you respond? Probably with suspicion, right? You might feel it as a condemning question. You might respond with contempt. If you have a difficult landlord, someone who gets suspicious, frustrated, angry every time you raise an issue, someone who just seems generally discontented, how apt will you be to go to them the next time you have a need, a need arises in your house? It matters what we think of people, how we think about them, what we think their mood is, if they are unhappy or happy. And so, how much more does it matter what we think about God? Jesus says this to his disciples. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and, I will, and will come to them and make our home with them. So that is an amazing thing. Not only do we live in the presence of God, but we are invited to make home with Him. And so what you think about God means that that will either come to you as an amazing promise or a dreadful reality. And so we must ask ourselves, you must ask yourself, what do you think about God. I was thinking about it, and I think that God is a little bit like Boo Radley in To Kill a Mockingbird. If you've read that, I'm sure you did as a kid. Scout, Jim, and Dill were terrified of this guy in their neighborhood. He was weird. He was a or He looked strange. He was a reclusive. He never came out. They thought that he was evil, of course. The rumor was that he ate cats. But did they really know him? No. In the end, of course, Boo Radley saves Jem and Scout from an attacker, and he turns out not to be a monster at all, but a very quiet and yet kind-hearted man. Do we know God enough to judge his character, what he thinks, what he feels, what his mood is? Have we stood too far away assuming that he is an angry, distant, and unhappy deity? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what he is like. What is God's mood? What are his feelings? What is he like? On the one hand, we must say God is infinitely complex, right? It is impossible just to distill his character down to any one thing. And yet, on the other hand, we know, we are told, that generally he is holy, loving, righteous. We say often that he is kind, He is wrathful, but He is merciful. If you grew up in the church, you have heard those qualities before. But let me tell you, there is a word that I never heard growing up. A word that was never used about God that I think that we must. And if we miss it, we miss a huge part of Him. What I want you to know this morning is, is that you do not serve in the presence of a moody, short-tempered, and bitter God, but you serve in the presence of a God who is happy. Deeply, steadfastly, supremely happy. So remember what Paul is saying to Timothy. He is serving in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 14 this, Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 15, which he will display at the proper time. And then he's going to give a description of of what the Lord is like, who the Lord is. And he says this, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now you need to hone in on that word blessed. Blessed. If you were with us last week, you know that the word blessed in the Old Testament can often mean the very same thing as happy. And so we said Psalm 1 really should read, happy is the man. What about here? There are different Greek words in the New Testament for blessed, but this is a very specific one. It's the Greek word, makarios. Does it mean blessed? Yes. But it also means happy. One dictionary says that it means supreme happiness. The reason that it's translated blessed is because the translator is trying to get across a a quality of happiness that only God really has, something that is enduring, lasting deep. It is a joyfulness, a cheerfulness that can never be taken Away, It is supreme. It is so high that it cannot be overcome. And yet the point is the same. Paul is saying unequivocally, unabashedly, that God is happy. How does this verse come to you when we say that? He who is the happy and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, if you can believe it, is happy. He is cheerful, delighted, overjoyed. You serve in the presence of a happy God. And you need to know that he has always been happy. Always from the beginning of time, he has always been happy before anything was ever created, before you and I ever existed. The Godhead rejoiced. That is so important that we serve the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one in three, three in one. They rejoiced for each other, in each other. There was never a time when they were not delighted at each other's life and presence. There was was never a time when they were not supremely happy in each other. The triune God is, in its very nature, happy. Stephen DeWitt writes, before you ever had a happy moment, or or your great-grandparents had a happy moment, or Adam and Eve ever had a happy moment, before the universe was ever created, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit were enjoying a perfect and robust relational delight in one another. Fred Sanders, one of the leading Trinity theologians of our time, says this, God in himself is perfect and perfectly happy. Being perfect, he cannot essentially improve. He can make happiness and blessedness available to his creatures because he always, already has it. So you know that the first responses from God, the first responses of emotion are of happiness, of gladness. He exclaims at the end of each day's creation, it is good. Nehemiah proclaims, the joy of the Lord is your strength. We are told in Psalm 1611 that in God's presence there is what? Fullness of joy. God is fundamentally, supremely happy. And He offers it to us. He offers it to us. He tells us over and over and over that we are to delight in Him, to find our joy in Him. Listen. Listen. Only a very, very wealthy person could offer you a billion dollars. Only a very infinitely happy God could offer you infinite joy. If you knew God as supremely, fundamentally happy, how would that change you? How would that change how you lived? Would you go to spend more time with Him? The happiest people that we know are the people that we want to be around, right? Would you be more inclined to take God's direction and guidance and, yes, criticism? The happiest people in our lives are the ones that we are, in a sense, happy to hear feedback from. Would you be inclined to seek out your own happiness? The happiest people in my lives that are coming to my mind right now are infecting, aren't they? They make me want what they have. God is the happiest being in all the universe, and He wants you to know Him this way. What do you think of God? Here's a second question. Is God only happy? Is God only happy? Now, we're just going to spend a few moments here, but, but it's important to address this. this. Is God If God is happy, does this mean that He only feels happiness? Maybe I'll ask it this way. In other words, does God, is God merely a perky God? I think you know what I mean. In other words, he's never grieved. He's always just so happy. We know people who have their head in the clouds, the type of happiness. They don't see anything except their own circumstances. They only see their very narrow world. And everything is always just great. The second that you try to bring up any sort of problem in your life, they stop you and say, you just need to be happy. Stop being so negative. Just be positive. Is that what God is like? Now, of course, God's happiness, we must say, is richer and more complex than this. And we also know, though, that He does not just experience happiness, He has other emotions, other ways that He is. We know that God is said to be angry, to be moved to pity, and that He can be pleased. When the Israelites were in Egypt and they cried out for God, we know that God had compassion on them. In the the Psalms, chapter 37, it says that God has pity on the weak and the needy. And an amazing passage, Isaiah 63, 9 says this, In all their distress, He, God, too, was distressed. And of course we know Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. He came to the earth as a human and He experienced all that we experience. He lived all that we lived, and so he wept, he laughed, he grieved, he joked, he despaired. God is not a trite God. His emotions do not run skin deep. Now, how can we say that, that he's all these different things, and yet at the same time, he is fundamentally and supremely happy? If he can feel anger and be grieved, how can he yet be a Happy God. How can He be for us, as Jonathan Edwards said, the only foundation of our happiness? Well, this is where God's happiness is different from ours. God's happiness is amazing, and it is the thing that beckons us to drink from it. It is a happiness be- it, that cannot be diminished by the world's sadness, it cannot be undercut, it can never be lessened. Theologians say that God is, I'm going to give you a theological word, impassable. God is impassable. And that means essentially that he can never be overwhelmed. He can never be overwhelmed by his emotions or pain or grief. No created being can inflict pain on him, suffering or distress on him unless he allows it. So God can be grieved on the one hand and yet perfectly happy on the other hand at the same time time. Here's this example from Randy Alcorn. We might say that a friend of ours was extremely sad over the death of her husband, but we can still think of her as a happy person. While weeping, she might suddenly smile or even laugh at a precious memory. Now, if those paradoxical feelings can happen in a human made in the image of God, surely there is room for them in the infinite vastness of God's being. Now it is true that we are afraid, reticent to bring our hearts to those we do not know how will respond. We are not inclined to bring our troubles to people who have shallow feelings or will condemn us for feeling something that they do not. But the Lord is far different than any of this and far better. He knows our hearts. He identifies with our pain and yet despite all of this, his fountain of joy is free flowing. For us, God is not only happy, but His enduring happiness is exactly what we need for our times of sorrow. I ask you again this morning, what do you think of God? Final question this morning. Is God happy for you? Is God happy for you? Here's a real story that many can relate to. Susan had a father who was a demanding tyrant. His so-called love for his daughter was cruelly and continually dangled in front of her like the proverbial carrot on a stick. His promise sounded tantalizing to Susan, but ultimately rang hollow. If you look pretty, I'll love you. If you make good grades, I'll love you. Or if you are successful and helpful and don't embarrass me, I will love you. She said, I was never pretty enough, slim enough, smart enough. She eventually sought a pastor's help. And he asked her, what does God feel when he looks at you? And she quipped back, pity. Why? Because I am pitiful and pathetic. What we think about the happiness or the unhappiness of God has everything to do with, I think, what we think He thinks about us. We're just simply asking, is God happy for us? If we think that, we, that He is angry over us, then we will see Him as angry. If we think that He is disappointed in us, then we will think of Him as disappointed. If we think that He does not care about us, then we will think of Him as distant and apathetic. What does God think about you? Ask yourself, what does God think about me? Does he smile at you or does he frown at you? Randy Alcorn again writes in his book called Happiness I am convinced that most people's view of God, sorry, I'm convinced that most people view God's typical emotional state as one of unhappiness. They think, yes, maybe he has occasional moments of happiness when his creatures do something right, but this happiness is always short-lived because we sin and God becomes unhappy again. The logic is that since people are full of sin, God must be full of unhappiness. But it's not just that corporate sense, it's our personal sense. I have sinned. I fail him. He must be disappointed in me. He must be unhappy for me. If your guard was down, if you didn't feel like you had to give the right answer, what would you say God thought about you? Disappointment? Frustration? Bitter? Bitterness? Apathy? Disregard? How many of you right down to your bones would say that God is happy for you, that He is utterly ridiculously, delightfully happy for you. I want you to know this morning that it is true. I want you to know this morning that God delights in you. Whether that makes you uncomfortable or not, God was delighted to make you, sustain you, rescue you, adopt you, grow you, and save you again and again and again and again. Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 37, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Isaiah 62, 5, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Hebrews 12.2, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Even though you continually sin, even though we consistently fail, even though we often run from him, even though we are messed up, screwed up, and we can never seem to get our act together, Yet God loves and pursues you. Because He was delighted to create you, to save you in Jesus, and to give you all things, the Lord remains happy for your existence. And now there is one thing in the Bible that epitomizes all of this. It is an incredible thing that you need to know that the Lord does over you. The thing that happens when He thinks about you. What his delight is expressed in is singing. The Lord delights in you to such a great degree that he sings at your existence. Singing music. I love music. That's not surprising. Now, it's debatable, but I think the music is the highest art that we have. My precious and awesome wife got me a a turntable for Christmas. Do you remember what those are? plays vinyl, plays records. And so in our house, we've been really celebrating music again. From Bach to Paramore to Michael Jackson to Van Halen to Bonnie Wright, Bonnie Raitt to Mozart and on and on. Listen, music is something that most people, if not all people, love. It is profoundly helpful to calm our nerves, celebrate our joys, grieve our losses, to ponder this life. And it very often, just in and of itself, overwhelms us and shows us the beauty and the power of the world. In the first Harry Potter novel, the headmaster of Hogwarts School of Magic, Dumbledore, he has all the students sing together out loud, and then it reads this way. Ah, music, Dumbledore said, wiping his eyes, a magic beyond all that we do here. C.S. Lewis and the Screw Tape Letters, written from the perspective of a demon, the head demon remarks, music, a meanly, meaningless acceleration in the rhythm of celestial experience. Martin Luther said of music, next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. Just think of how the, how the Bible talks about music. When God commands His praise, He says to do it with singing. When Christ came into the world, the angels sang out. When the angels hovered before the Lord in Isaiah 6, they cried out with one voice, holy, holy, holy. When Paul says to not get drunk on wine, he says to be drunk on the Spirit and then sing hymns together, hymns of praise. Music is not just central to our lives, it is central to the Bible, Because music, I think, is the happiest explosion of our experience. It is the great expression of the happy person. So music, we should not be surprised, is the great and loud release of the happy God. He is happy and so he sings. Now we get to ask this, what makes him sing? What makes him erupt into musical joy? His people, you, Zephaniah 317. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The Almighty Father, the reigning Son, the Sovereign Spirit, they see you, they know you, and they sing for you. How do we apply this? How do we apply something like this? First, I think that it is yet another call for us to be as happy as we can. C.S. Lewis called that our duty: to be as happy as we can, not shallowly, but deeply. We are made in the image of a happy God, and so we can aim to be like Him. He is singing. We should sing. Second, may we be happy for others in the same way He is happy for us. May everyone know that we know us as cheerful, delightful, happy people. May they know that we are deeply happy for them, especially our children. Is there any greater gift to give to them, and that they would know that we are happy for them. Third, believe in Jesus. Now we need to make this clear. The Bible teaches very clearly that if you are not for God, you are against Him. You were created delightfully by Him but now because of Adam's sin and because of our own sin, we are at enmity, at war with him. But the second that you trust on Jesus and his death and his resurrection, his life becomes yours. The second you believe in Christ, you are accepted and adopted and delighted in by God for an eternity. If you have not believed, believe Friends, what do you think about God? He is not easy to define, and yet He invites it from us. He wants us to know Him. He wants you to know that He is happy, and that He is happy for you. Let's pray. God, somehow uh, right now in our minds and our hearts, would we hear your singing? Would we hear your shouts of joy? We who have believed for too long that we cannot be happy. We who have believed for too long that we are not loved. We have, who have believed for too long that you are not happy at our existence. In our hearts, Lord, would we hear your singing. God, impart to us your joy today. Give us what we do not have. Fill us to overflowing. Though we have hard lives, though we have times of struggle, we pray that you would hold us up by your great mercy by your great love, and yes, by your great happiness. We praise you and we worship you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, who died for us out of his joy, we ask all of this. Amen.